0: Rebel HR listeners, thanks for joining us this week. Really excited about the podcast here. We just wrapped a discussion with Gurpreet Mann, who was absolutely wonderful to talk to. And we covered a broad range of topics uh, and so much content that we are actually going to split this into two different shows. So this is part one of two, Gurpreet Mann. Thanks for listening. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited to talk to our guest today, Gurpreet Mahd. She is a HR superhero. A senior people and organizational design consultant helping executives and executive board members develop growth, build and expand people and process capabilities, create and drive a culture of continuous improvement. And she's just an all around cool person. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you. Whoa, what a nice intro! <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: Love having you here, and and uh, I'm super excited to uh, to get an opportunity to talk to you directly. Been following your posts on LinkedIn. Uh, appreciate your authenticity and and uh, your approach to human resources. So, so you are the HR superhero. I want to start with the origin story. So, what is your superhero origin story?
1: My background is actually in IT management. So, I have a degree in IT management. Um, plan B was HR. So I did a um, elective courses in HR, which I end up getting an HR certificate with my degree. I don't know why I, I, at a young age, I was still thinking about Plan B because last thing you want to do is graduate and then you can't find a job and then go back <laughs> to school. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not a school person. So long story short, um, coming from a entrepreneur family, one of my uncles had a need. So I end up going and working with him in California for three, four months in his restaurants. He owns uh, four five six franchise. And I just really liked uh, started liking working with people and also the challenges in minimum wage employees trying to motivate them um, to do their jobs and all that stuff, right? Like they're just a like, nice component elements and never a dull moment. And then when I came back to Canada, Toronto, uh, four or five months later, I was like, you know, I'm going into HR, it's me, it it matches my personality really well. And bonus, I got a 90 degree, right? So, (laughs) hey, what what a unique combination with the two, right? Like, um, and that's how I started my HR journey. I have to give full credit of that spark or being me comes back to the, one of the first bosses I had who really let me be me. You know, he was a great mentor, a great boss, um, but he also let me be me in a sense that I was allowed to speak my mind. I was allowed to add input. You know, as his assistant, he could have just dismissed me or or anything, but he didn't. But also he led by example, perfect example of how to be a great HR is to be out on the floor, not sit behind the desk, don't sit behind a computer, but go up and interact with people, talk to people, build those relationships and solve problems right on the spot. And um, so yeah, that's how actually it began and I loved it. I love, 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 HR. And in my first job is where I had a haha moment. you know, in university, you're working part-time, but you also got school, but you're not you're not at work. For forty plus hours, right? right. So, waking a uh, wake up call when I'm working in my first HR job I was like, holy crap! I'm at work forty plus hours. I see these people every day, and then it's kind of like started to resonate with me. And then it's like, oh my god, we're like family, because I'm seeing these people every day. I'm probably seeing them more than I interact with my family. And then I was like, well, why don't we create that environment at work that we're family? Like, why do we have rules and policies and, you know, why are we so like, uh, like, you know, we're family. We're spending so much time together. And I think that's my first job gave me that inspiration, the power to create uh, organization, culture, environment, workplace where we feel family. We are because we're working with one another 40 plus hours a day like uh, my job was so demanding I didn't have time to take breaks like so much work even as a uh, assistant so I would say that's where my origin of HR passion started that no we should be building work environments truly as a family atmosphere where we feel comfortable to speak our minds, we feel comfortable to be ourselves. We feel comfortable and secure and safe at work.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting context. Um, so uh, you know, I but I can't help but think, gosh, how, how many dysfunctional families are out there right now? Because I've been in those those situations in HR too, where you've got you know everybody's got that cousin that, ooh.
1: No, no, I I do too. I come from a dysfunctional family.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm with you. I think that that's that's a it's an integral part of building a culture you want to work at, right?
1: If I have to sum it up, like let's okay, let's yeah, you bring up a good good point about dysfunctional family. Let's just remove that part and just say treating people like human. right? Like human beings, and. One thing I never appreciated in HR and I think that's what gave me another competitive advantage was I didn't come from a a traditional HR background. I came from business, I came from IT. My entire program is all about uh, being analytic and freaking a better way to do things, be more efficient and leveraging technology. That I always had that analytical analytical mind. So data driven not yeah. data driven but just you know, better ways of doing things. There's always a better way of something. But I never, ever, as a human being in my HR career, ever felt the need that I ever had to code a policy. Because in the end of the day, oh, how many people actually read those policies? <laughs> you know? How oh, they that? have
0: to Yeah, nobody nobody reads that stuff. And it's how- like the <laughs> Apple it's like the Apple iTunes Agreement. If any has anybody ever read the Apple iTunes Agreement before they kick, click agree? no no you no. just you, you want to download that app so you just click agree download
1: you know let's it take it even a little bit a little bit down to phone getting a phone contract
0: right <laughs> yeah you what just signed you your say? first born <laughs> away to verizon wireless but you've got that cell phone so who cares
1: <laughs> want, right and even if you read it Will you retain that information? Because policy a lot of policy.
0: Oh, right? man. No.
1: And in the end of the day, we're human beings. Each situation, I'm not saying po- like shouldn't have policies, but I'm saying we shouldn't live by policies. We should just look at the other human being, understand where they're coming from, and figure things out from there.
0: Well said. Yes, fa- you know, it's fascinating you came from IT because that was my, my first real job was an IT project manager, mostly hardware focused, you know, I wasn't, I certainly am not a programmer. Um, but I, I ended up, yeah, I liked the human element of the role and the project leadership of the role, uh, as opposed to necessarily the, the actual tactical execution part of it. So I ended up kind of drifting into operations and then drifted into oh,
1: nice.
0: HR. I like to say HR found me. <laughs> I didn't know I was looking for it, but, you know, then I, here I am. <laughs> so, um, interesting. So in your, in your background, as you, as you started to, uh, to progress through HR, um, you know, a few years ago, you, you really, uh, came into your own and branched off and, and did a couple, um, uh, projects that were, you know, entrepreneurial in nature. So what, what prompted you to go into, uh, the world of, of founding your own organizations?
1: I was always an entrepreneur um, since I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur since I was 16, 16, 17, maybe. Um, I remember my chemistry teacher saying, you're really good in chemistry. You should go into chemistry. I was like, nope, oh, I'm business. <laughs> I'm going into business. <laughs> uh, my first boss, same thing. He always told me, um, you're an entrepreneur. You're wasting your time working. And I said, no, I'm not wasting my time. I know I'm an entrepreneur. I know I'm going to start my own business, but I want to work first. And my dad's an entrepreneur, was uh, an entrepreneur. I came from, I have been born and raised in an entrepreneur family. My dad started his business here in Toronto in 1984. And um, a lot of my family members have businesses. So I've been around business and always knew it was going to be a biz- in business i actually started a side hustle in 2007 2008 in um, artificial jewelry selling indian artificial jewelry and leveraging facebook and business took off and i had my sister and my friend as a partner and it start it took off it was doing great until i got married and um, i had to get a divorce so then it took a, a hit, um, and that was that. But then I venture into, I built my HR business actually in 2009. I uh, actually started building it. I'm not saying, when I say building, I mean started putting my thought process together, putting the whole planning aspect of it, what do I want to do, and a lot of stuff. Uh, but I never got clients in the sense, I didn't go looking for clients because all my HR jobs were really demanding. And then 2013 was the last time I worked in the corporate and I just needed a break. And w- once my contract was done, I took a break. My employer, uh, my boss wanted me back and I said, no, either hire me full time or I'm done. right? And they're like, we don't have full time need, but we can use you again. And I was like, no. Um, and then my dad bought a travel franchise and a couple other franchises. So I was like, you know, I'm in between jobs. Let me help you out while I'm looking for my next HR job. So I started helping him out. Long story short, I really enjoyed it. It was a nice break to, um, you know, start something from zero and build it and get it off the ground. So that was the travel franchise. And I was like, I'm going to look at, I want to do, I'll just help you in the travel. I had no interest in the UPS franchise. So build that. I just, the learning curve was so challenging but so exciting at the same time the destinations in this world and all the hotels and all that stuff so it was very challenging but it was a nice welcome challenge for me uh at that moment Long story short, I learned so much that eventually, then 2015 is when I was like, you know, I'm ready to launch my own HR consulting business. I've been working on this for years. It's now or never. So 2013 is when I decided to go full time in entrepreneur, and that's when I did get involved in multiple businesses because my dad had multiple businesses, so I was involved with his businesses, and then an event led me, and that, and the reason I made that choice was. I already already knew I was an entrepreneur, and two thousand and thirteen was perfect because no kids, no husband, single I'm only responsible for myself, so I can either continue working twelve plus hours in the corporate world on a salary or I can do the same twelve plus hours for myself and have a potential of make making unlimited income. I'm not saying you know. Don't get me wrong, like starting a business is a lot of work and you're not gonna make money right off the bat. Like there are right. so many obstacles and challenges. As long as you're a risk taker and willing to pursue your dream, because that was my dream since I was sixteen, um, eventually it will happen.
0: Absolutely. So so spend some time in HR, now running your own HR enterprise. Tell me uh, what you have seen uh, over the last few years. I feel like there's been a little bit of change in the in the perspective of human resources. You've been in the world for for uh, for a long time now. What kind of a shift have you seen in some of the work you've done in human resources?
1: See, I work with smaller organizations, um small medium sized companies, up to about five hundred employees. So I'll just speak on them. that what I've seen is is in that their perspective is a lot of businesses, and that probably can tie back to a little bit in the larger organizations that i worked in too, companies weren't really valuing HR. And it could Mm -hmm. be for various, various factors or reasons. But I feel like one of the things that's pandemic has shed some light is the importance of having a strategic business partner. I see HR as a business role. I don't see it as HR the way people have been describing it or seeing it policies admin and all that stuff it's a true 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 business function because for the business to be successful and profitable it needs the right people to be working in their organization in the end of the day a business can only make money based on who's working for them so using the our superpower which is our brains each business is relying on each individual superpower, which is their brain. And the business is making money from that brain, right? Like, no, no a rocket science there. But I think the fact that a lot of companies are starting, either don't realize, a lot of companies don't realize that their biggest asset is their employees and how you can be profitable will really depend on who is working in your organization and then retaining it, right? And I think this whole retention thing, a lot of business people don't get how much money is being lost when you lose the employee and how much money is being lost when you don't have the the right type of talent working for your organization. So one of the shifts I'm starting to see in HR or overall and in businesses, the importance of people are starting to get emphasized Ger- more.
0: Gurpreet, I apologize. We have a gas leak in my building, so okay. we have to evacuate the building. So oh my I'm going to stop recording, and That's we will problem. reschedule.
1: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <right>. Good luck.
0: <laughs> HR, whatever. Yeah. Here we go. All right. I, we'll connect.
1: Yeah, Take yeah.
0: <laughs> there wasn't a gas leak. But this is a great example of some of the things that HR gets to deal with on a daily basis. There was a supposed gas leak in the building that I was recording in. Turns out that it may have just been an animal that passed away in the HVAC system. So in a great example of Murphy's Law, we had to stop recording the podcast. Uh, thank you for your concern. Everybody is fine. There were no issues. And Gurpreet was gracious enough to reschedule. So here is the continuation of the conversation with Gapreet. Thanks. All right. I can't wait to edit this podcast because literally right in the middle of our conversation, somebody was banging on my window saying that the building has a gas leak. So um, the good news is that Gurpreet has been gracious enough to join us again. So, um, it might sound different because we're both about a month or so removed from our last conversation, but, um, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me again. We're going to rewind and thank goodness for editing. I can post edit all this, all this noise out. (laughs) So, (laughs) but you know, PSA of the day, if there is a gas leak in the building, the most important thing is to end your podcast recording and go make sure you don't blow up. (laughs) (laughs) And the, The probably the funniest part was so, um, we thought it was a gas leak and we brought out the energy company and they came back and they said probably just a, like a dead animal in an exhaust vent somewhere.
1: <laughs> so. Oh, this has happened um, at a big, <laughs> big bank company, but it was more on the IT side. I think the entire system crashed. Um, it was about credit cards. I, I had a, a client that was telling me about this and it ended up being um it end up, like long story short, end up being a dead animal. Uh, I, no, sorry, not a dead animal. Our rots were chewing on the kibbles.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, this would be a great time to remind people, you know, I sit in Midwest USA and it's time to cue that banjo music. So, you know, play the banjo music in your head for where I'm sitting at. But mm-hmm. so thank you so much for being gracious enough to join us again and for, for taking some additional time out of your – out of your schedule. So uh, right before I hit record on the second session here, we were having a really great conversation about human resources in general, career planning, you know, kind, you know, I kind of liken it to trying to figure out what you really, what do you want to do? What's your passion? You know, what do you want to do when you grow up for lack of a better word? I always tell people I'm, I don't know. I mean, Mm -hmm. and if you would have asked me 20 years ago, when I was in college, what's your career path? You know, where do you want to be five years from now? Which side note, I hate that interview question. I mean, my honest answer would be like, I have no freaking clue. I just hope I get a job and I can survive and <laughs> and you know afford a car payment. Um,
1: but that's the honest truth even today. That right? is absolutely. I don't like that. I never asked that interview <laughs> question. I never understood why anybody would ask. But as I progress in life, in career, I found it to be such a, not a good question to ask for various reasons. And and I could say this is because I've lost a lot of loved ones um, in a short period of time back to back. And that's when my shifting uh, thinking shifted. It's like, why do we ask, what's your plan for three years or five years? How about ask someone what's their plan right now? Like mm-hmm. who's in the future? I right. I don't I I I never I hated that question. I took it out of my interview question. I never let hiring managers ask that question.
0: <laughs> good for you, good for because you. Because
1: nonsense question. Who cares what someone's five-year plan looks like?
0: I'm I'm in that same camp, and you you articulated such an important point and something that I think 2020 and beyond is teaching us is is so many people's priorities are so much bigger than what they do for a paycheck yes right you know your health the health of your loved ones you know the time spent um you know with others and you know for a lot of people they're going they're forced to answer that question inauthentically because the truth is in five years from now they probably just want to be healthy and make sure their family's healthy and cared for right but they can't they can't answer that question that way they have to come up with some bs like well i really hope i'm really hope I'm in a progressively, you know, um, mobile role within your organization, moving up and adding value to the bottom line. That's real. That's my number one five-year plan, right now. Yeah. That's just a BS HR response that, you know, checks the box. <laughs> but yeah, but all kidding aside, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. HR is tough, right? I mean, the career of HR is really, really hard. And yes. I was, you know, I was reflecting on our conversation earlier and, you know you were sharing some of your you know some of your thoughts on on hr and just the the you know the propensity to burn out but i just think it's such a it's such a taker job like you take other people's concerns and challenges and you bear those and you're and and you're supposed to do that for every employee in the company and if you don't have a healthy disconnection to that when you leave the office at night i think it can be toxic
1: and you know it's interesting you're saying this uh because depending on who you are and what situation you're dealing with that disconnect is really hard to make absolutely um and i always say this one thing i'm like you know a lot of people don't understand how emotionally draining any role can be depending on the capacity level of what you're dealing with, um, the situations you're dealing with, employee relations uh, component can be so draining, so draining. I've dealt with, um, I think my third year into my career is when I became a manager. Yeah, within three years, I moved into a manager position. That's when I started dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. Of course, you're a manager, right? But I was shielded from all this stuff, because I had a great boss that shielded me from politics and all this other stuff. But when you're a manager now, you can't have that shield. And you have to deal with so much. I remember investigating this investigation on premises where an employee was being harassed by another employee. Um, And this was in a small little town, small little town, and she had like someone leave dead bird on her doorstep, emails oh. and stuff like that, right? The only um, the only easy part was the fact that the person was doing it through company emails was really easy to tr- tr- trace it back who it was. And it was pretty black and white uh, investigation. So it wasn't that long of an investigation. But my boss, I remember telling me, hey, Gurpre, uh, you know, make sure when you leave the premises, no one's following you. Make sure you change directions, all that stuff. So she's giving me good advice. But uh, it's a small town. I moved and relocated yeah. to a different uh, place, and it was a small little town. I'm like, there's only two or three <laughs> places I yeah. can make like, change, right? Like, if I fell late in Toronto, there's many ways to come home, right? But yeah. that's, like, Matt, I was investigating someone that's being a bully and harassed by an employee to the point where uh, dead animals being left on their doorsteps, and I couldn't, like, it's hard to disconnect, like, I, I can't disconnect, because now I'm being told also, hey, make sure that you change routes when you're going home, like, how are you supposed to disconnect from that, like, make sure you're not walking to your car alone. So yeah, that was the first time I had to deal with it. And it's like, oh, my God, like, emotionally, you're so drained out. I remember I've investigated sexual harassment cases, you know, how, Oh, my God, that's like a whole nother level. How draining that entire process Mm -hmm. can be. And that's why I always say HR is one position and one profession, depending on what you deal with, where we don't get enough recognition for the amount of um, stuff that we have to deal with. And it can be so emotionally draining, depending on the type of relationship you're dealing with as well. It's like it, I've gone through those emotions a lot, and it's yeah, hard. would you, would you connect.
0: consider yourself a? Absolutely, would you consider yourself a an empathetic person or an empath? Yes,
1: I was gonna go to that yeah. night recently and discover that I am an empathic person. I have this gift. Took me a long time to recognize, but I've been doing a lot of Reiki healing and all that stuff. So, imp- empathetic, imp- empath people it's a gift to have you consume other people's energies you can I can read and you know what I couldn't understand why I can I can pick up things before they happen the energies and all that stuff then it started clicking just recently I'm like oh this makes sense because I can read people's energies you don't have to tell me anything I can read and tell you hey this is now it doesn't happen all the time but like you can pick up an energy and if you are an empath person it's really hard to disconnect that energy because you you can't determine if it's your energy or someone else's energy. And that's where I think a lot of times um, I've struggled too. Like if you are at work, you do. I'm a type of person, Kyle, like if you started crying right now, I would start crying. Mm-hmm. I was on live with one of my sales coaches in a group call. She started crying because of another person sharing something. I started crying. I didn't even know this person. I've been like that, so it's a little bit hard to. If you are that person, it's a little bit hard to. It's hard to disconnect, but it can 100%. also make you a great HR person. It uh,
0: yeah, and that's the. I think that's the such the struggle is most of us that end up in HR, even whether we plan to or not. We're there because we have some gift like that, right? We can interpret how others are feeling, or we can understand. The ripple effect of this relationship and that relationship, and when they don't work, it, it, what that means, and and a lot of times we're there to kind of be the conscience of some of the the business leaders and, and the voice of truth and the voice of the the internal customer, so to speak. But um, but when you get into a situation that's extremely negative, and you are an empathetic person, it's really really hard to disconnect and. <clears throat> Even harder when we may not be able to help the person like we want to because of the role we're in, we have to play the neutral party and we have to toe the company line a lot of times. And and while we may truly feel the pain or struggle or concern or frustration of an employee, we may not be, be even be able to do anything about it because we couldn't validate that anything was actually happening through the investigation. Right. And and I just think it's such a that's such a burden that people don't I don't think people talk about it enough and it's sensitive and hard.
1: We don't. And that's probably one of the reasons I started vocally talking about all this stuff on uh, and every matter on LinkedIn. We don't do enough talking about, you know, hard situations. We try to fluff it out and it is hard. It's hard. And some of the things, you know, talking about it or dealing with situations also make you realize if you are that sensitive, empathetic person, you will be a great HR. Why? You would be able to put some, change some processes that are just ridiculous. For example, firing. (laughs) Firing.
0: You're speaking my language.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like firing. Why do we have to walk somebody out? Why do we have to stand there and tell them to pack their stuff up? It's the most embarrassing moment. And we stand there. I had one which was really bad. I've been through it myself. And then I've had done it. I was like, no, this is totally wrong. We truly need to change how we fire people. Why does it have to be this way? I had a bad experience. I had one myself, but I was the one being fired. And I was like, I never want to do this. I never want to – any bad situations, I like, I personally dealt with, I make sure that I never do it again. If I didn't like it happening to me, why would someone else like it? Terminating. Terminating somebody, and then we stand there, and we tell them to pack their stuff up, and we walk them out. And we have to stand there. I get the – I get it. I get the fact that, you know uh, – property and protection all that stuff but there's a there's a a a way to terminate somebody respectfully without uh embarrassing them and you can help them transition into another job somewhere else the best way to do it is human but a lot of times companies forget that aspect so because i've been through a few times I've been on the end receiving part and I've been on the side where I am delivering it. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous process that needs to change. We shouldn't be terminating people like this. We need to do better. And I did develop a process better. I when when a hiring manager comes to me and says you want to terminate somebody, I go through this whole process. Why, 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 why? Can we work this out? Can it be this? When it comes down to know this person this is the best option, then it's like, okay, let's, how can we do it in a way that, yes, it's going to be hard for the employee to be here that we're letting them go, but we should also look at a plan to set them up for success. They can get a better job or find a a job that's best for them and helping with those current uh, career transition services. There's a way to terminate somebody with dignity. I believe.
0: 100%. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, Uh, I mean, you said it, it's about being a human and treating people that way. And, um, there are, I mean, I've been in those situations where there's been somebody who's been a a truly toxic employee and you're afraid that on the way out the door, they're going to take, you know, retaliation towards somebody. And, and I think, but those are definitely the exception and not the rule. I think for the most part, um, as long as somebody has been treated with respect through the course of their employment, they're they should also be treated with respect on the way out the door and the likelihood of them doing something if they feel respected is extremely low. Um, But it's, yeah, we always want to err on the side of, well, let's worst case scenario.
1: But you know what, um, Kyle, you know, when you're terminating a toxic employee, yes, you're going to take those measures, right? Because you know they're toxic, right? But when it's somebody who's non-toxic also, when we, when you're ter- deciding to terminate somebody, when you've never even had a discussion about their performance, that's where, like, mm-hmm. I step in and say, no, you can't terminate this employee, you you need to put in a, a, a performance imp- a improvement plan and so on and so on, right? And and like those, like I've been in that situation where I was terminated within six months in my role. I already knew I was going to be terminated because the history of HR person in that facility was six months. Then, right when I found that, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going in six months." Um, but there might
0: be something going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Like it, right. it's not like hmm. when you get into the role, people talk, right? And I was, I was like, "Whoa, I'm the sixth or seventh person." They're like, "Yeah." This, within six months they
0: just turn around no right deal.
1: and i was like oh and i was a, this Great. was my first manager role so i already kind of had a gut feeling that within six months i'm gone too my boss changed so that's the other like red flag for me that oh i'm gonna not like red flag but i just had this gut feeling because she's the one who hired me knowing i don't have a manager experience um that whole transition wasn't done properly for me I never met my boss, never barely talked to me, never set up any KPIs for me, nothing. And then I come back from vacation. I already knew when I was on vacation, I just had this gut feeling that when I get back, I'm going to be terminated. And exactly that's what it was. And I will never forget this moment. And that's why I never, ever do this for termination. First of all, I'm coming back from vacation and you're terminating me 9am in the morning. Hmm. Um,
0: Welcome back. And
1: Yeah. Uh, you could have just told me before I went on vacation. Yeah. There's ways to communicate, right? Coming, and my in my laptop's not. Uh, my computer wasn't working. I was gonna. I picked up the phone to call IT, and then I see my boss standing there, at nine a.m. My office was right on the floor. Everyone saw it. Nine a.m. and being terminated. I didn't ask questions. I'm like, great. I don't care because I already knew, like, for various reasons. But that's when I realized. I'm like, okay, so I worked. Around the clock is a 24-hour facility. I worked around the clock. I I delivered amazing results that no one's seen in that facility because that was the feedback from other managers and stuff. I kept it. I did a lot of work in six months, and I was just gone like that. Like that, boom, gone. No explanation, no nothing. And that's when I realized, I'm like, you know, how many times have people been terminated for no reason and we just like a manager makes a decision and blindly lets them go. We play with people's emotions. I actually relocated um, wow. from Toronto to another place uh, and within six months, you know, gone, which is fine because I actually wanted to move back uh, to Toronto, anyways. But till this day, I still remember the feeling, feelings, right? We don't, yeah. we're human beings, we don't forget the emotions and feelings. So, one of the areas that I feel a lot of companies, like I wrote this post today about this too and yesterday too, you know, people over the years, HR process or HR function has been overly complicated when it's not. It's the, the word human resources. The first word is human. It's all about treating people like human beings. I think a lot of people just think that there's this Magic solution to um taking care of your employees and all that stuff, and it's like, no, I've I was having this conversation with another nature person. I was like, no, the problem is we live in a world where it's all about trends, right? One day it's this trend, next day it's this trend. You know, now it's diversity and inclusion. Um, last time it was company culture, employee branding only had a short-lived trend. <laughs> but like there's just trends and trends and trends (laughs) right right? startup came startups started booming startups created this whole trend of free food gaming and all that stuff and you know what i called it i'm like this is not a culture what they're trying to do is keep you at work (laughs) right and it works right they provide everything (laughs) for you so you never have to leave there was an amazing article written by a former google employee who made Google her life friends? Google, because Google pay, even provides the basic, um, basic life stuff that you need on their premises: laundry, gym, everything. You name it, right? Long story short, she was being harassed by this individual, and then he was now going to be her manager or leader. So that's when she started voicing. Um, She didn't want to voice before because everybody's like, you have it best. You have a good life. You work for Google and all that stuff, right? Long story short, so when she started to um, voice her concerns, automatically, what does any company do? They want to protect themselves. So they started to like, no, okay, you take a leave. We'll do the investigation. Okay, how about you do this? And so she wrote this whole article and she goes, you know, one thing I learned was things weren't gonna change, uh, but she goes, you know what, I made work my life, I made the company my life, but that's not how it should be. Your, your life should be separate from your work and company. So she ended up leaving and went to another company, but she said the lesson she learned was that your, your employer should not be your family or should not be your life. Your actual life should be separate. These are perks to have, but you should not be consuming them where you can't even balance and have a separation from employer and your actual life. When she said that, I was like, I've been saying this for years, that the whole gimmick around these startups and tech companies where they provide free food, uh, beds for you to take naps and, and this like I remember visiting Samsung's uh, um, San Jose location, everything's there for you, it's a big facility, and they have like, I don't know how many restaurants, you name it, they have everything, I, I was invited by the VP, and I'm like, who would want to leave, I go, but that's the catch here, you don't want them to leave, I and, and the VP was laughing, I'm like, yeah, but that's the catch here, which, which, People not understanding, it looks so glamorous that people can grasp that what they're doing is they're making you, they're making you think this is glamorous. But what they're actually doing mentally is making you not leave, so that they're getting more out of you. If you're consumed by company 24 hours and you're there, you're not leaving. You are gonna end up working. You're there benefiting from it, right? So it's sad how some companies will gimmick certain things, but how employees can take it the uh, cannot see beyond it. And I always tell them anybody, uh, and I know I may try, and I'm saying this, but at the end of the day, there needs to be a balance. And and free food, free trips, and all that stuff will not keep an employee with you if you don't treat them good. And treating good comes down to Dealing with those hard situations when an employee comes and talks to you or or launches a complaint against the manager, how, how are you going to handle it? Are you just going to shut them out? A larger organizations do this. The minute you launch a complaint uh, about a manager, the first thing they're going to do, the manager is going to do, is try to get rid of you. I've seen it multiple times, and that's the sad part, right? That's the sad part. And now this goes back to what you were right. saying. There's certain elements of HR that we want to do so much, but then our hands are tied. And that can mentally impact you a lot. You know it's wrong. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, it's, you know, unfortunately, and I think this actually, this goes goes towards, you know, any number of biases, but, you know, even in HR, it's, you spend more time working directly with, with managers typically than you do. Uh, with with their direct reports, it's just natural in, in the role. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're required to talk to you because it's part of their job function. Versus an employee who isn't required to talk to you unless there's an issue. And so, so your your natural bias in HR is to assume, okay, I know this manager really well. I trust this manager because I work with them a lot. When an employee brings something about that manager to you, your natural bias is to assume that that employee's full of it. Yeah, I mean that's just. That's that's how we're wired as humans. The 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 relationship with the greatest level of connection usually wins. And and that's where, you know, that's where it 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 becomes a challenge and it becomes one of those areas where you've really got to be mindful of your preconceived notions and your assumptions. Um and and you have to be objective. And when you're an empathetic and and trusting individual that generally likes people. That's not easy. That's not necessarily a skill set that we cultivate naturally, uh, but we're expected to do it, and yeah. we're expected to be the, yeah, the employee champion, and we're also supposed to run the activities committee and, you know, <laughs> and and recognition platforms, right? It's just like you do all these different things, yeah. and you're expected to do them all great, and you end up doing them all, eh, you know, as good whatever. as you have the capacity <laughs> to do.
1: <laughs> I was like, whatever. <laughs> But how many HR people actually get recognized, right? Like
0: Yeah, it yeah. You know, we
1: we you know, we champion all this recognition and all that stuff. We implement these things because we're the ones on the front line doing all this stuff. But how many HR people actually get recognized?
0: All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. A big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy or see our website at revelahumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR podcast are those of the authors do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations they No animals were no harmed During the filming of this podcast.
1: Baby.